0: Hello, Roger. <laughs> Hello, Tim. How are you doing? Good to see you yes. again. Um, you are an author and a marketer and an avid reader of both fiction and non-fiction, I think that's right to say. So, Yeah.
1: Fiction. I I read loads of business books, as you would yeah. expect, but I do like my fiction. And when I go on holiday, I will either load up the Kindle with... Lots of fiction, or in the olden days, I actually used to go to the airport and buy a handful of the airport editions. So, at least you know, a quarter of our luggage was always books when we were going on holiday. I can polish off a book a day when I'm lying on a beach. Okay,
0: shall we start with your first bit first book, which is a bit on the old side, but then I'll start with it. So, The Menace of Mask by Basil Deakin. So, it's quite an old book, isn't it?
1: wow this is a very old book and it and it's, it was a bit of a, a bit of a story actually because this book has always sort of resided in the very very back of my mind it's something that i my grandfather bought for me probably at a jumble sale or at a church bazaar or something like that and i always remember it was actually quite a dinky little book it was. It wasn't. It wasn't the usual A five size of a paperback. It was about half the size and half, half the width, and 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 quite slim. And I remember reading it, and I'm, I was probably about twelve years old at the time. And it was like a, a teenage version of James Bond. So it was that sort of thing. It had gadgets. It had exotic locations. I don't think there were there were exotic women in it because it was written it was written for youngish teenagers and there was this super villain in it whose name was Mask and I if I remember rightly he did he did have a mask and this this story has always been in the back of my head and of course moved house millions of times I read the book about 50 times and eventually it just fell apart and disappeared into the ether and when you asked me to come on the show it was there still nagging away at me so as you do i typed it into amazon and there it is the menace of mask by basil Deakin. now it, it's it looks like in its original copy i can't remember exactly how much it was but it said it has a bit of damage to it but i'm sorely tempted to buy it now just to have, just to effectively resurrect those memories from such a long time ago and and just to complete the story when I was a teenager I was at school I was really into storytelling I was I was really into writing stories of my own and I used to buy these little memo books from the news agent and I used to take the cover off and then make little books out of them and I actually did write a book and I called it the menace of mask I nicked the title but I changed I changed the spelling of mask to m-a- S Q U E, you know the, oh, yeah. the French, the French spelling, and of course it was just a book that I wrote at home and I shared it with my friends at school, so it never ever saw light of day enough to get me sued or anything like that as a teenager. But I always remember that menace of mask was just just there, living in the back of my memory. Okay,
0: so it's it's a kind of formative book then. I mean, some of the other books you've got here are also probably. Later versions of that, I would guess. So... Yeah,
1: I, I suppose that probably set the scene. Yeah. And the, the the sort of fiction that I tend to read is adventure type stuff yeah. so there's James Bond one of the James Bond books is on my list I then sort of v- branched off into horror started reading books by Stephen King Dean Dean R. Kuntz was another one Sean Hudson I remember was one author that I read quite a lot of and James Herbert was the was a British horror writer I used to read a lot of James Herbert books as well and then science fiction as well I tended to read Robert Heinlein and, oh, who wrote this? It's Stainless Steel Rat. Ray, no, Ray Harryhausen, was it? Something like that. Anyway, anyway.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Let's go on to the next book. Pet Cemetery. I've never been quite sure. Is this pet cemetery by Stephen King or is cemetery? Is it just a different spelling?
1: It is is actually spelt. It is actually pronounced as you would as you would pronounce cemetery, where they bury people. It's just that within the context of the story, the pet cemetery itself is a is a little graveyard of pets. That oh, the local really the local kids have put together, and they've spelt cemetery wrong on the on the little board that they set up. So so this this book, Tim, is one one of if not the best horror books I have ever. Have you read it yourself? No, I haven't. Clearly. Um, yeah one one of the best horror books I've ever read. It, it's yeah. all it's also a book which handles grief and loss quite. Quite graphically, but Stephen King is often criticised for writing, in his own words, Titus style books. He just writes and writes and writes, and some of his books are thousands of pages long. Yeah. Pet Sematary isn't actually a, as long as some of Stephen King's books. It's quite compact, and the story absolutely races along. But I, it, it's what it's a great example of a book that you can genuinely only read once and be absolutely an. Utterly scared out of your mind. Am I allowed yeah. to swear on here? Well, well, we are now. We're not on
0: Amazon.
1: <laughs> you know, to be to be scared absolutely crapless, and obviously, once you've read it, you'll it'll never have the same effect again. But even if you do reread it, you sometimes relive that first time. And Stephen King's got this remarkable way of telling the story, and it goes along at a relatively sedate pace. And it's signposted all the way through mm-hmm. what is going to happen but however he manages to do it it's almost like he's deflecting you for from from the obvious and there's a point about probably a, just over a third maybe maybe towards halfway through when you suddenly realize what's going to happen because he set it up perfectly and then yeah something happens and I remember I might even have been sat on a train when I read this and it was almost that moment of oh my god no please tell me that's not what's going to happen and of course it was and then the rest of the book is the really quite graphic description of the thing that 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 happens and it's really scary and the way he writes it is it just sucks you in it's got it's got monsters in it it's got cats in it it's got it's got ghosts as well and a lot of it as you would expect takes place in the dark and in the woods and honestly it's just it's just a perfect example of, of storytelling full stop but an amazing example of horror raw raw horror and i challenge anybody to read it and if they've never read it before you get to that point where you just oh i can't believe that this is what he's going to do now of course they've made two films of this book one came out in the 80s 85 or 86 and there was actually one a couple of years ago and neither of those films manages to pull off the same narrative almost deflection so you pretty not much know what's going to happen in both films almost five minutes in Whereas when you read the book for the first time, Stephen King just completely takes you in and then almost like whacks you over the head with a cricket bat or something. And, and that it's that moment of realisation that has always put this book so high up my list of favourites. OK, so
0: <clears throat> what do you think you like about horror then? What's the thing that makes you
1: interested in this kind of horror book? it's very it's a very good question a lot of a lot of stephen king books particularly tend to be based upon older fiction for example he wrote a book called salem's lot which was was about vampires taking over an american town and a lot of the imagery and a lot of the 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 history and the folklore that he put into that book he took from bram stoker from from dracula I, i guess I, I guess the thing is it's 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 a really good horror book for me is when it's set in a recognizable place. Most of Stephen King's books are set set in normal towns, you know, the sort of places where you and I would live. Yeah. And yet these incredible things happen. So I think it's just that juxtaposition of something relatively safe, like our lives, and then there's something completely left of field shocking. That just sort of takes you out of your environment, and it just makes you suspend your disbelief, and it just sucks you along. And I think it's just that oh, you know, I can I'm, imagine that happening, and I can't believe he's thought of that. But then the, the description just takes you along. So I, I, it's just the it's just the, the 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 storytelling that takes that makes the hairs rise rise on the back of your neck. I guess. Yeah. Okay.
0: Let's move on to maybe yeah. the same author. The Long Walk Bateman books, but I only put Bateman books there because it wasn't originally written under Stephen King's name, was it? It was written under somebody, Bateman, it was his pen. That
1: That's right. Now, The Long Walk itself is was actually the first book that Stephen King ever wrote, uh-huh. so, it, so it was written way back in the... 70s and i think if you read the foreword to the backman books as you've said he says that he, he wrote it and he put it into a cupboard for a, about a decade and, and never yeah. even got it and then a decade later he got it out and read it again and thought you know actually that's pretty damn good <laughs> and i think it was, it was at the time when stephen king had become famous so he'd written carrie he done salem's lot i think there was yeah. a yeah, the stand was out and he thought i wonder whether my name is now selling the books rather than the quality of the stories and the quality of the narrative so he decided to publish a few books under a a pseudonym a different name to see whether they would become successful as well and almost prove to himself that it was his writing that was the thing that was getting in the the sales rather than the the name And, and he was proved right because these these uh, Richard Bachman books became very popular as well, and I think it was a journalist that actually blew it and and revealed it to the mark to the market, and then after that they just rebranded them all under the yeah. Stephen King logo. No, so the the Long Walk is it, it's a remarkable little book because again, he so he wrote it his first book. He was in his late teens, and yet the book has got so much world wisdom in it and so much maturity you think this was must have been written by somebody in his 50s who's had a lifetime of experience it's staggering that it was written by a, a you know a, a somebody just about to become 20. and and effectively it's set in it's set in the future it doesn't name a date and and it's analogous a little bit to i guess to the hunger games but it obviously predates the hunger games by about three decades and and, and a battle royale type thing so you've got a hundred boys basically start walking as part of this annual race and they've got to walk at four miles an hour and if they fall below four miles an hour they get a warning and if they get three warnings in a row on the fourth warning they are given their ticket now again Stephen King in in classic style avoids telling you what the ticket is until the first person falls below Yeah, four miles an hour for the fourth time and then of course that's the other oh my god moment when this kid just gets his head blown off by the the soldier so the idea is that these 100 boys walk until there's only one of them left and the one who's left gets as much money and whatever he wants for the rest of his life and the entire book takes place on this road of these 100 boys basically whittled down one by one and again the concept is just really scary and the way he writes mm. it is really scary and yet these boys create relationships with each other you know they're not allowed to touch each other because of the, that that breaks the rules they're not allowed to leave the road to cuddle anybody or the, you know they've got the family on the side of the road but they're not allowed to touch them they're not allowed to stop for a bite to eat or to go to the toilet they're just going to carry on and again it's just one of those books it, it's not long it's a couple of hundred pages if that and yet you you know you can be sucked along just like pet cemetery the storytelling is remarkable and that basic concept is really quite quite scary and as i say it's it's inspired other books like hunger games battle royale which was a which was a japanese film but also i guess games like Fortnite, which You know, a battle royale type games where you start with 100 players and you get whittled down to one survivor at the end. So, you know, the the two things are storytelling, but the fact that he wrote it when he was in his late teens and yet it, it demonstrates that world wisdom of somebody in the 50s. I just still can't get my head around that. It's absolutely remarkable. Yeah, I think he's always been an old person Has he? <laughs> yeah, an probably. old person, yeah in, in a young person's clothing But now he's an old person as well So, Yeah, yeah. now he can
0: he can now Officially identify as an old person <laughs> Okay Let's go on to the next one Which is Goldfinger By Ian Fleming Oh, uh, have been a well known <laughs> film Made about this
1: yeah now obviously i'm a massive fan of the bond movies and admittedly i watched the bond films first before i read the books uh during the lockdown the first lockdown i think my wife and i watched a bond film pretty much every night for 24 Mm. nights we just went through them all one by one it it was that sort of time wasn't it when you were doing things like that now some of the, some of the the original books were obviously written in the 50, 1950s, so you've obviously got that that difference in in the time time scale and everything. It was post war, a lot different to where we are now, even a lot different to the the world that was portrayed in the movies. Even though the movies only started probably 10 years later, but Goldfinger to me is probably the best of the in fleming original bond books and again i think that the, the, it's the storytelling that i find remarkable about goldfinger itself yeah. uh, he splits the book into three bits there's the first section is called happenstance the second Section is called coincidence, and the third section is called enemy action. And basically, it's the three meetings that he has with Goldfinger. The first one yeah. is purely by chance. The second one he orchestrates it, but tries to make it a coincidence. And then the third is when they they try to rob the, the Fort Knox dispensary in America. And again, the locations across the world, the storytelling, the pacing, the description. And I, I guess, you know, having seen the film before I read the book, you mm-hmm. cannot help but read the book and see Gert Frober saying the words of Goldfinger in the film, yeah. in the book. And, you know, odd, odd job is described in the book as a guy with a bowler hat. So I see the guy from the film. It would be really interesting to have, read the book first, not having seen the film, to see whether the imagery would have been different. But one of the things that I do find quite remarkable about the way the book then became the film, Tim, was that obviously Goldfinger's plot was to steal the gold out of Fort Knox in America. And the idea is that they're going to poison the the, the soldiers and they're gonna go in and they're gonna take all this gold bullion away, which is absolutely ridiculous because there are millions and millions and millions of gold bars in Fort Knox and you would need millions of trucks and it would take them months and months to fill the, the trucks up. So you read the book and you think, yeah, well, this is never going to happen, is it? And what they did in the book, in the film is they actually almost like fixed it yeah and and sean connery actually says to goldfinger you'd never you couldn't do this because you'd need hundred thousand trucks and it would take you months and blah 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 and that's when goldfinger in the film says well actually we're just going to explode a dirty nuclear bomb in the fort so that the gold becomes radioactive so I i always thought that was really clever the book was probably trying to be a little bit too ambitious with its uh, with its scope, yeah. and they had to then go and fix it with the film. Which sometimes it's the opposite way around, isn't it? Yeah, the, the book's more detailed than the film ends up being.
0: Yeah, but it sounds like you still found the book entertaining, and the most was it? Is it? Have you read most of the Bond? books or is this one specifically no
1: i i have i have read most of them there, there are a couple of the more obscure ones i've, I've not read the spy who loved me yeah. and i think octopussy in the living daylights was a collection of short stories but all the other ones i've read goldfinger to me is probably the one that's closest to the way the film turned out yeah some of the others you know it, it, it may even just be the name of the, yeah, of the book yeah, yeah. And the name of the film is the same, and that that's pretty much where it ends. But Goldfinger is pretty almost even some of the dialogue from the book is is almost word for word into the film, which sometimes you know it doesn't happen, does it? They the script writers tend to rewrite quite a lot of it. But I remember thinking, yeah, no, Sean Connery did say that. Yeah, Gert <laughs> Frober did say that.
0: So this was the best of the bond books for you.
1: It, you? I, I reckon it was the best of the bond books for me definitely. Although I do like I do like some of the others. From Russia we loves is is good yeah. as well.
0: <laughs> okay, and we're going to we're going to go into different genre completely. A different good. genre. Different genre. <laughs> the Pursuit of Wow by Tom Peters.
1: This is probably one of the first business books that i read yeah. and so i'm thinking back to when i started working in big corporates. so we're talking about early 1990s just before i moved up to edinburgh and as you know i have a sort of love-hate relationship with big corporates they tend to overcomplicate things they tend to find safety and mediocrity it's so much easier to be as good as everybody else but a lot of companies just can't be bothered with either the expense or the effort of trying to differentiate themselves and therefore you end up everybody sort of collecting together in a sort of similar space i mean even i even think you see it with airlines now you know 20 odd years ago when easyjet came along it And Stelios launched EasyJet. It was genuinely different. It stood out because it was low cost. You had to phone up to book. Yeah. The, the, the cabin crew wore track suits, et cetera. Whereas now the, the low cost model is pretty much exactly the same. So to me, the the only real difference between Ryanair and Wiz and, and EasyJet is the color of the tailplane. The model and the experience is pretty yeah. similar. And that's the same with a lot of these corporates. And I remember reading The Pursuit of Wow by Tom Peters at the time, and it was almost that sort of revelationary moment again, in the same way as, I guess, Pet Cemetery was that, oh, my God, I can't believe he's going to do this in fiction. Yeah. This was a, oh, this is just so obvious, but why does big corporate not do it? Now, as you would expect by the title, all Tom Peters is saying is if you want to be successful in business, you've got to stand out somehow You've got to find some USP, some unique selling feature, whether it's a product, whether it's a service, whether it's your customer service, whether it's your process. But unless you do something different and make people say, wow, by doing that different thing, then you are going to be collected together in mediocrity with everybody else. And that almost became right. This is what I really want to do and 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 i was very fortunate not long after that to become involved in a startup business within uk financial services and we had a go at doing the wow factor i can't say we totally succeeded but we we did, we managed to do things differently and ironically about 10 years down the line we then got subsumed within a bigger organisation and guess what? It all went back to, to being a yeah. fame again, which is one of the things that happens when successful small companies become so successful, they get bought by bigger companies. And those bigger companies tend to kill off whatever it was that made those smaller companies successful. But Pursuit of Wow was definitely... There, there was another book as well by Tom Peters, which came out shortly afterwards, I can... I should have looked it up. It's it's something like brand search, brand search new. you is it brand
0: you brand new.
1: And he was going on about how you as a person can become a brand. Now, of course, these days, because of people like Chris Ducker and all that, personal branding is much more of a accepted concept. But when I, I remember reading the sequel to Pursuit of it might not have been the sequel, but it was around about the same time. Brand you, or I'll have to look it up now. But it was basically describing building a personal brand for yourself without calling it a personal brand because somebody hadn't coined that phrase yet. So, so he, uh, you know, I, I did reread Pursuit of Wow probably about yeah. three years ago, and obviously it was before it was just as the internet was get, getting started, so we didn't have as much tech as we have now, yes. but the actual basic concepts, no. Absolutely the same, just that back then as they are now, finding the difference and focusing on the difference and making people say, Wow, that is different, and that can be a route to success.
0: Well, going to his website, I was googling in the background the brand new 50 50 ways to transform yourself and employee into a brand. So, I don't know that, if the 50s because it was 50 years ago, or yeah,
1: could be it, that could be it.
0: But yeah, this is looking on Tim Peter, Tom Peter's website, so yeah, it's called. <laughs> <laughs> oh the project 50 huh? okay maybe he's got some other... oh anyway we can all google it so yeah, you know, the book i i remember reading in search of excellence which i think was one of his
1: books. yes that that was that was around the same time as yeah well. I think that might I have mean, been it, a bit earlier i was
0: i was really impressed by i can't remember anything about it there's lots of book, business books that i remember being impressed by and then i'm like i can't remember what they said <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah this is definitely one. that I think is surprisingly. It's the first Tom Peters book we've had on this show. We've had there's a lot of books that keep coming up again and again,
1: including the next book. I think, I, think, I think maybe with this whole business thing, I'm, I'm a bit like you. I've read loads of business books and yeah. quite a lot of. I, I couldn't quote actual words to you, but it's probably that feeling that it it yeah. was that it was just a really good time for me to read something like that when I was feeling stifled by a big corporate company. And I read it and thought, Do you know what, this guy's right. Something needs to change, and and maybe that's what you need out of the business book rather than the A B C. You just get that prompt or that feeling or that kick up the backside or or something.
0: Yeah. Well, I think I think the big problem between because I mean I've worked in corporate years ago, and. I think what you need to succeed as an entrepreneur in a smaller business, what you need to succeed in the market is to be different, as you say. Mm, mm, mm. But when you're in a corporation, because you're in a hierarchy, what you need to succeed is to to do what everybody expects you to do. Yes. (laughs) Which is not necessarily the different thing. So I think it is that struggle. And that's basically what kills off most big companies eventually, in that they end up just doing the expected thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely or end, right.
0: Or they end up in a room with kind of a big whiteboard and everybody, let's brainstorm. <laughs> and it's like they're not going to say, su- oh, I mean, then all the silly ideas, which are the ones that might make money, are the ones that have crossed off straight away.
1: Anyway, oh, we can't do that. We can't do that. <laughs> they can't
0: stop lining big corporate and go on to the next one. Which is. They Ask, You
1: Answer by mother Sheridan. And this has been on the show a few times before. Well, I've actually I've actually managed to grab Ooh. hold of a copy of this one. So it's a hardback as well. Now then, I mean, I, again, when I was working for that smaller company, we're talking about 20, 28, 29, 20, 2008, 2009, I started listening to podcasts started listening to and watching about content marketing that's when i started getting into content creation when i when i was in big corporate working with that smaller upstart we did actually create our own website of blogs we didn't even know it was a blog until somebody told us that it was a blog and so i actually started doing content marketing quite early even though i didn't really know that that's what it was pegged as but one of the earliest podcasts i came across was this thing called the sales lion which was marcus sheridan yeah now at the time marcus sheridan was was running a swimming pool company and and if you and if this book's been on the show before somebody else will have told the story but as you know what happened was it in in the crash of 20 2008 his swimming pool business nearly went out of business and effectively they he saved that business by doing videos of his swimming pools yeah. and answering the questions, the many questions that people had about swimming pools, like you know, how 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 deep are they? What's the water temperature? What chemicals do you, you know? Any question you can think of about swimming pools, he did a video to answer that question, and effectively it turned it turned the business around. It they they weathered the the recession and and came back. And he then effectively pivoted and started this other business called, it was called the sales line originally, and it's it's now called Impact, I think, which was more of a content marketing company. And he started teaching this whole mantra of con, good, really good marketing is actually just about answering the questions that your customers have about your service and about your product. And if you answer those questions either as videos or as podcasts or as articles or whatever it might be the very fact that you're answering those questions in an engaging way is less intrusive than advertising and is likely ultimately to make people want to buy from you more and the the book they ask you answer is effectively a distillation of quite a lot of those early podcasts and of course now he's been traveling the world teaching this whole idea he his his book really just brings all of those ideas together now for for me it's an absolute perfect blueprint for how content marketing works i'm still old school enough to think you know with marketing you still need to have the strategic elements they ask you answer is a bit more like once you've got your product and your service this Mm. is how you market it so i still think there's a bit to be done but as a blueprint for doing something engaging rather than in true being intrusive or annoying. I just don't think you can get better than Marcus's teachings. You know, he, he the stuff that he does is very rarely, a, if ever, I've never seen anything, him do anything that's annoying. He never does anything that's intrusive. All his videos were highly engaging, highly informative, and it's a very good, very good ma- mantra to have, and quite a lot of people could learn a lot from either reading that book or watching some of his stuff because we are still surrounded by so much intrusive crap, aren't we? It doesn't answer questions. In fact, it makes you think of more questions probably. It interrupts you, it, 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 it gets on your nerves and it's it's not engaging. So I think as a blueprint, that's, that's definitely a must read for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, I remember, I think it was some conference site or something I was looking at recently. And it didn't have where the event was, when the event was, <laughs> or how much it cost on the main website. And I'm like, well, I'm not, not going to click this link and now be forever retargeted or abused by this thing just to click through it and find, oh, it's somewhere I, at a time I can't do in a place I'm not going to go to. So, yeah, I, I agree that this book is... I mean, I've read this book. I need to reread it again, actually. But it is basically... For lots and lots of businesses, basically the blueprint to doing content marketing.
1: Yeah, and and one of the things that is also I like about it, Tim, is that he actually gets you to answer questions that you're probably a bit nervous about asking, like how much is our service, how much does it cost, who are our competitors. You know, how many business I'm not talking about our competitors as Aviva or, yeah. or or Royal London or whatever it is, or whatever industry it is. We don't want to talk about our competitors. But Marcus Sheridan says, y- y- your customers are going to have questions about your competitors. Yeah. If you answer the questions about your competitors, then you're likely to have an advantage over them immediately because they won't have done the same thing about you and yet oh no we can't possibly oh we're not telling people how much it is until we're further down the line and mm. again he said no no if pe- people are going to ask how much it costs should be there on the website it should be in a video or it should be in an article or it should be somehow projected and yeah as you say a blueprint
0: yeah well I mean as you saying with competitors I mean if you say maybe you should go with our competitor x because if you're this sort of customer yeah that builds up so much trust but then when you say that but if you're this kind of customer you want to go with us Mm. that to a customer well to a customer means oh yeah this this is an honest company that actually wants us to they know the sort of customers they want but too many people are just trying to get everybody and it's like they never meant they might, if they mention the competitor it's just to say, well, company X is terrible or whatever and that's well, that may or may not be true, but that's not much, that doesn't make you seem like a good company, does it? Really?
1: No, I, th- I think that's a fabulous point you've just made there because what it also demonstrates is that you've taken the time to identify your ideal customer and yeah. what they what their needs are, what their wants are, so you can recognise them as your ideal customer and as you say if somebody comes along and doesn't fit that brief then it's okay to say you're not our you're not our customer our product isn't actually for you yeah therefore if you bought it you probably wouldn't be happy with it so we'll be honest with you now and point you down the road to another company and everybody's happy then because we don't get a customer that ultimately we end up either falling out with or disappointing and they get the product that they actually wanted rather than one that they find out later wasn't suitable.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go on to the next book. (laughs) Story worthy by Matthew Dix.
1: Yeah. So this, this sort of maybe weaves everything together from so far, because this isn't, this isn't really a business book. Yeah. It's not, it's not fiction either. Now, as you've probably realized, I, I, storytelling has been part of my, just part of my existence. I love stories when I was a kid. I love being told stories when I got older. I love to start telling stories. As a business person, I've, I've enjoyed telling stories on stages and on podcasts and, and things like this. And I, I started watching again, I think this was probably during the lockdown. Sorry. I, I started listening to, I came across this podcast called the moth and the moth is a, a an event that takes place predominantly in the states but there are there are there are some events take place in 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 britain and europe and basically it's a it's a live show in a venue and 10 people will get up and they often get selected at random and they have to tell a story and they have to tell a story that has actually happened to them it's not got to be fiction. It actually has to be a personal story. And obviously that story can be, you know, it can be something that happened to them as a child that shaped their future, like a little little boy reading a book called The Menace of Mask, perhaps. Or it could be, you know, relationship with mother and father, first love, first job, something that happened, you know, climbing a mountain, being involved in a car crash, whatever it might be and they tell the story to this audience and now it's not it's not comedy either although a lot of the stories are very funny and they tend to last between 7 and 10 minutes so it's quite it's quite a short time span that they've got and at the end of the night they vote on the best of the 10 people and that person gets a a, a, a pat on the back and a, a certificate or something and they then if they win one of these, they they can get moved into a region, or and then they have a national final in it, and it's a big institution. And this guy Matthew Dix has won this moth competition at local level, international level, all around the United States, etc. And he's renowned as one of the best storytellers. And I listen to a lot of his stories, and yeah, wow, he, he's his technique is great. He, again, he sucks you in. He's got that element of the Stephen King ability to suspend your disbelief. He can, he can describe things, but the pacing's always mm-hmm. very good as well. And he always has something that you'll remember after those 10 minutes have gone by. And Story Worthy is his book about how to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And what he's doing is he's saying, I'm going to teach you how to tell a story that, you, that uh, about something that's happened to you personally. So the start of the book, as you can imagine, is... Well, where are those stories, and that's a question of mm. going back through your life. Did you keep a diary? It might be in your diary you know start start a diary now if you haven't already started one and note something down and you know the the day your child walks for the first time or the day you get married, what's happening and then he and then he takes you through all the steps that he would go through to actually put a story together, so you have things like pacing and description how to do dialogue is it first person is it is it all in chronological order are there flashbacks it's it's really quite interesting and by the end of the book you could put together a story which would potentially work on the moth stage but when i read this having been a fan of storytelling for so long i did realize that even though i think the foreword to this book says this book will tell you how to tell a personal story so that you could potentially get up at the moth and speak to the moth. I think that you read this book and you do business storytelling, either on stages or on podcasts like yeah. this or whatever, you could still learn one hell of a lot about storytelling by reading this book. Because the techniques, the basic techniques, and some of the ideas that he has to get you to think slightly differently about how you would talk about something that's happened, I think you could easily come away a better business storyteller as well as a personal storyteller. Because let's face it, a lot of us aren't going to go along to one of these (laughs) moth nights and start talking about our first love or whatever it might be but some of us might need to get up on a stage and talk about chat gtp or something like that. and and here are the storytelling techniques so i i love this book because obviously he's won so many of these moths that he's got so many stories to tell and he obviously includes quite a few of those stories in the book itself and what's also quite nice is if you don't want to actually read the story there's usually a url to the youtube video as well that you can actually watch him telling that story actually on the stage
0: yeah well i mean quite a few times i've heard you tell your john the wine man stories so i know that you're clearly you've learned the lessons of storytelling (laughs) from the from this book anyway If anybody wants to see that story, I've got a clip of it on the other (laughs) show that I do. We won't talk about it at the moment. We'll go on to the final book by a very auspicious author. Cats, Mats, and Marketing Plans by
1: Roger
0: Edwards.
1: Yeah, this is my book. This is the one what I wrote. There we go. So,
0: Cats, Mats and marketing plans so.
1: yeah again it's it, it, the idea there was to just to stand out a little bit and yeah. it's not like the dummy's guide to marketing or yeah. how to do marketing in 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 an easy lesson or marketing 101 i also wanted a cat to be on the on the cover because my wife and i have always had cats still have cats and i tell this other story in in some of my talks which involves a cat sitting on a mat and it's a, it's quite a powerful story about how to keep things simple again in a maybe in a corporate environment or in yeah. marketing so i had that i had the title of cats and mats and marketing plans in my head for quite a while but really the book the the book was almost like the, those 20 years that I spent in big corporate, almost like fighting against complexity, trying to do things simpler, trying to stand out and the stories that I recorded along the way, including a, appearing on a, a watchdog TV series to defend a financial services company that I was working for at the time. That narrative eventually found its way into this book. So it's basically a book about how to write a very simple marketing plan without complexity and probably with a wow factor in there that was subliminally planted in my mind by Tom Peters all those years ago. But I've told stories throughout that of examples that I've had from my own corporate life or from the startup or from doing talks and this, that and the other. And effectively, the culmination is that idea of the of the cat sitting on the mat, and then it and, and the complexity angle, and yeah, I I wrote it. I think the think the I included this actually in the introduction. The day I decided I was absolutely going to do it was when I was flying to Montenegro, and I'd been invited to do a speech in Montenegro, and and the speech included the cat on the mat section
0: yeah
1: and and i had this moment when I on honestly it was so nice tim and, and as a as an aviation enthusiast and a traveler you'll know what this is like I was sat on this plane in a window seat and i was lucky enough to have the two seats next to me free which is always yeah. nice and i had a i had a glass of beer or cl- glass of wine i can't remember and we were flying over croatia which was just the fir- just as the, we start the descent into montenegro and honestly the view out the window was phenomenal and i had this a am- me this sort of instant attack of imposter syndrome which was this sort of what the hell do you think you're doing sitting on this plane, going to a country where English isn't their first language and yeah. you're gonna stand up and give this talk, which might have worked with an English speaking audience, but you can't honestly believe that you're gonna pull it off in a country where they don't speak English as their first language. And now, honestly it was like that blood drains from the face moment. Mm. And I, I actually sort of get the cabin crew back, bring the trolley back out, give me another give me another drink. As it turned out, you know, they they the the people were there at the airport they picked me up they were so nice the conference went down really well the speech really went down well and i hadn't need to worry because most of the people in the audience spoke better english than i do and even those who didn't they had these translating headphone things that they could wear anyway so i just came away absolutely bouncing absolutely elated and on it was on the way home i thought that story is going to be the introduction of the book because it leads into the whole cat thing, and and I went away and wrote it in the lead up to the pandemic. It was originally going to come out in the, at the beginning of 2020, and mm. I thought, oh, when we were locked down, I thought, no, no, I'll I'll hang on to it. Probably in hindsight, I should have hung on to it a bit longer because I re- eventually launched it in November 2020, and then they locked us down again, didn't they? Yeah. Um, so i probably should have hung on until the summer of 2021 but hindsight is a wonderful thing yeah. and i never wrote the book expecting to sell millions and i definitely haven't sell, sold millions i've sold enough i'm happy with the number i've sold but it's almost like having that sort of you know book-shaped calling card or book-shaped business card and if anybody books me to speak and they haven't got a massive budget i ask them if they'll buy a case full of the books and sometimes they do (laughs) well
0: also like if somebody wants to understand everything you talk about yeah you can now send them to the book you've got that as a source of like if you can't afford to see me speak or you can't go to Croatia or Montenegro or whatever you can just buy the book yeah so even on that basis it's good so who would you say would make you most happy to read your book? Who would be the ideal person? What kind of... This almost sounds like a marketing persona, but yeah. like, what 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 kind of story? Somebody who read your book, who would you think would get the most out of your book?
1: The people, the people that I think the book works best for, are probably people who don't have a marketing background, yeah. so they haven't done a marketing degree like I have. They haven't been on a marketing course, but they find themselves having to do marketing for wherever it is they work. So they may be a salesperson who is asked to do some marketing or a customer service person who is yeah. "Will you do some marketing a couple of days a week. We can't afford a full-time marketing person. Or you could work for a, a company that everybody just has to pitch in. So... I actually say that in the introduction of the book. If you've got a marketing degree or you've taken a the post-grad in, you know, the CII or something, not, not the CII, the, the CMI, if you've got a chartered thing like that, then you're probably not going to learn anything about marketing from this book. Although what I would hope is that maybe I could point out a few things where you may be doing things a little bit too complicated and, yeah. and you might get a little bit out of it from that. But if you haven't got a marketing background, but you are doing marketing either inadvertently or unconsciously, then I think that this book will help you. Because if you if you find yourself in that position and you go out there, it can be quite intimidating to mm. sign up to do a marketing course or to or, or let's face it, you could buy one for $97 and it will probably be rubbish. Or yeah. you could you could go to you could you could read any number of quite brilliant but quite complicated marketing books that maybe are at graduate level, whereas I try to pitch this at at a much simpler level. So I do talk about strategy, but I try to keep it simple. And I do talk about positioning and I do talk about research and goals and the the four P's of marketing, but I, I try to keep it conversational rather than academic. So definitely aimed at people who find themselves doing marketing without having had a marketing background. Okay.
0: So I think it's probably time to talk about Roger Edwards. Yes. Even though we have talked about Roger Edwards. A little bit. (laughs) So how can people like, let's say they read your book and then they think, well, I'm running this business conference and I want to hire Roger as a speaker. Or maybe... They've read your book and they're like, well, I've got questions. I actually want to work. Can they work with you more? Can they click a button somewhere on your website and work with you more in some other way? I mean, what kind of what do you do apart from your writing and yeah? What, how can people interact with you in a business? At, at the
1: at the mo- at the moment I, I am a marketing consultant and a speaker. Yeah. So the the principles of of marketing that I talk about in the book. Keeping things simple. My, my the the three things of a marketing strategy in the book are coming up with your offer, setting your goals, and planning your activity. Now, yeah. the the activity bit is what people probably usually feel is marketing. That's the advertising, the content, yeah. that sort of thing. It's the offer and the goals that a lot of people don't end up doing and that's the strategy bit that's where you academically that's where you're talking about research and positioning and segmentation and all of that sort of thing so as a consultant i can practice what i preach and help companies small businesses whoever it might be to put together a simple marketing plan a bleak strategy based upon the, the, the the way that i wrote the book now annoyingly i came up with a better articulation of this whole thing after the book had been published. (laughs) I suddenly had another of those epiphany moments during the, the probably the third lockdown where I just had this idea of the circle of marketing simplicity, which includes that offer and goal and activity but it also has a simplicity banner on it as well. So there has, there will probably be a second edition of the book eventually when I get round to doing it to include to yeah. effectively just reframe it because I think that works a little bit better. But if you need somebody to help you put together a plan, nice and simple without all of that academic complexity, then that's the sort of thing that I would help people with. But as you've already said, I'm more than happy to either do workshops. Or stand on stages and do speeches. Yes, I've done the cat on the mat speech lots of times. John the Wine Man. People actually ask for the John the Wine Man <laughs> speech now, which is, which is so good. It's probably yeah. it's probably it's probably about four or five years old now. So it's prob it's probably about time to start putting that one to bed. But yeah, people still do ask for it, and of course, I'd be more than happy to to do something bespoke. We, we've learnt so much over the last few years when we've been in lockdown yeah and of course we've seen you know we've had hysteria about nfts we've had hysteria about the metaverse nfts and metaverse have disappeared now everybody's going absolutely batshit about chat gtp that's the the flashy toy isn't it you know you can buy a course for chat gtp for 97 dollars now can i just just say that for whatever this is one of the most embarrassing things about being a marketing person somebody once in the past thought it was a good idea to put the number seven at the end of everything Uh on the understanding that some sort of universe jedi mind trick going on that if you put a seven at the end of a number it automatically makes people buy it please if you're watching this and you're a marketing person it's bullshit it doesn't have that effect in fact if you put a seven at the end of your price it just makes everybody realize that you're one of those people that bought the bullshit so change it to a nine or a two or something but if it's a seven for goodness sake. <laughs> well, I
0: mean, I think the 99.99 thing works better than 100. I can see the psychology of that, but I've never understood the 97 thing. As you say, saying, that seems to be, that's almost like a marker that you've done a marketing course.
1: <laughs> I, I think More you, can, you can actually trace it back. I did actually have a look, and there was an article about 20-odd years ago where somebody was, was just... Offering an opinion, did different numbers have different effects? And I think he, he was almost, it was almost a tongue in cheek thing try slapping a seven on the end of it. Yeah. And then it's one of those things that then just grew legs and everybody now believes that it's... It's like it's like in Edinburgh. Every single tourist thinks that if they rub Bobby's nose, Greyfriars Bobby's statues, they rub the nose, it will bring them good luck. So poor old Bobby's statue's now got a bright <laughs> bronze nose because everybody rubs the paint off. But it was an act- actually a rumour started by a travel company about 20 years ago. Before that... Bobby's nose was the same color as the rest of his body. And now that travel company has created something, which it's like and the other one is Blue Monday, isn't it? At the beginning of the yeah. year, Blue Monday was originally an ad campaign for Sky Travel back in the early 2000s. And now everybody thinks Blue Monday is actually a real day of the year. And and the, not, the seven is something like that. Sorry, yeah. we've gone off on a bit of a tangent there. <laughs> no, well, it comes
0: back to the whole corporate thing, doesn't it? It's like everybody follows in. Mm. People tend to want to follow your group or clump together. But the problem is that's probably well, I mean, it's you either you can either be the person following in, but you really want to be the person at the front who's leading the trend. I
1: think yeah. it's come back to the Tom Peters thing. I think I think the bottom line is Tim, is it's hard to be different. Yeah. It's hard to be simple as well. You know, if if you allow things to stay complicated and you allow things to be very similar to everybody else, it makes your life a hell of a lot easier, but it doesn't mean that you're gonna be successful. It just means you're gonna be part of the pack.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the problem is that if you're different and it doesn't work, then it's really, you're opening yourself up to criticism. And then that feeling of like, you didn't press one, when everybody else is pressing one, you press two on the keyboard. Like the fact that if you press three, you would have made 10 times as much money, but you press two, (laughs) that's what so nobody wants to be that person. But it's the fact that you could have pressed the right button, you could have made the thing is where success comes.
1: Yeah, yeah. uh,
0: There's there's an element of fixed skinness. And I think (laughs) complexity, again, is a way of covering that up. It's like, well, we're, we're, we're going to try and press a different button, but we won't say we're pressing another button. We'll say that we're facilitating an AI program that goes to the metaverse <laughs> and uses an appendage to press uh, something on a. I'm trying to think of what another word for a keyboard is. Go for the pincer. So rather than pressing another button, we're we're going to be utilising AI in the metaverse to to do something. So that's that's the way it would work. But yeah, as you say, complexity has its issues, doesn't it? Really, that's a big problem.
1: Yeah, and and being being simple takes a lot of effort, and unfortunately, a lot of the time, it's just easier to stay complicated. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Anyway, it's been great to talk to you this evening. The, I'll try and put these clips onto Amazon. I should be able to do that. So hopefully, some of them will be accepted and put onto the product pages. It's a shame that. For whatever reason, probably Virgin Media related. I mean to slander them. I can't go live seeing it, but it's been great to talk to you anyway. And yeah, as always, Tim. YouTube, as always, as always. So thanks so much for coming on the show. And no no, problem at all. I've got no end graphics. I'm just going to press the end broadcast button. So here we go.